Are you tired of your valuable ideas and suggestions getting lost in the shuffle? Well, that is why I'm introducing Direct Suggest, the revolutionary digital suggestion box that puts your voice front and center. With Direct Suggest, you have the power to make a difference in your organization. Direct Suggest provides value to organizations in various industries worldwide, including notable brands like Comcast, TD Bank, and Nokia. And here's the best part. Direct Suggest only costs 50 cents per employee per month, making it an affordable solution for businesses of all sizes. Plus, they have an incredibly high ROI and savings potential with an average 33 times return on investment. The implementation process is also a breeze. Once committed, setting up Direct Suggest from start to finish can be completed in as quickly as a week or less. Don't let your ideas or your team's ideas go unnoticed. Visit directsuggest.com today and start by making a difference with Direct Suggest. Use the promo code HUMANHR for your extended 60-day free trial. Again, visit directsuggest.com to learn more and remember to use promo code HUMANHR for an extended free trial. Direct Suggest, where your voice matters. Welcome to the Bringing the Human Back to Human Resources podcast. I'm Tracy Chernoff, and I've spent my entire professional career in HR. Each week, we'll explore the delicate balance between people and business with the aim to reconnect the two and create meaningful outcomes. Listen in as I share my own experiences, challenge the status quo, and chat with guests from various industries about our mission to bring the human back to human resources. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here for another week. And happy new year, because it is January by the time you're listening to this. And it is not January when we're recording this episode. Um, As you can probably tell if you're watching the video, you can probably tell there is nothing winter about my background. Um, Anyway, this week, we are going to be really diving into a very important and special conversation. Um, And my guest this week is Lori Mihalik Levin, JD. And uh, we're going to be speaking all about returning to work after parental leave. And that is whether you're a mother or a father, any kind of parent. Um, So keep listening. So let me tell you a little bit about Lori. Uh, Again, Lori Mihalik Levin, JD, believes in empowering working parents. She's the founder and CEO of Mindful Return, author of Back to Work After Baby, the book that I have right here, How to Plan and Navigate a Mindful Return from Maternity Leave, and co-host of the Parents at Work podcast. She's also the co-chair of the inaugural DC chapter of Postpartum Support International, aka PSI. Lori is mama to two wonderful redheaded boys ages 10 and 12 and is a healthcare lawyer in private practice. Her thought leadership has been featured in publications including Forbes, The Washington Post, New York Times Parenting, and Thrive Global. Lori, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Tracy, it's such a delight to be here. Thank you for that wonderful intro and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Me too. And, you know, I, uh, as I shared with you, you know, we, this episode is coming out in January. So I have by this point already shocked my audience by letting them know that I'm out on maternity leave. So we're doing a little bit of time traveling here because we're recording in August at the end of August already. And I'm taking myself into the future when I am effectively on maternity leave. So we, (laughs) this is a very special conversation because Uh, I'm going to need all of the resources and support that I can get. And I know I am not alone. So tell us like a little bit more about yourself. Obviously, you're a lawyer, you're a mom, and you are an author as well. And and you lead these e-courses. How did you first get into this, you know, like when you became mom and, and, and how this was inspired? 
Sure. So first of all, Tracy, you're doing it right by collecting and gathering all the resources you can now. Try not to do it alone. <laughs> that was basically my fatal flaw and fatal error was like, oh, I'll just figure all this out by myself. And that was not the strategy to adopt. Um, <laughs> my journey started out of sheer desperation. I went back to work full time at an in-house policy role at a healthcare association. Um, and found it challenging after my first baby. And then I went back to work after my second baby two years later, and the wheels absolutely came off in our house. We like to say that one child plus one child felt like 85 children. So congratulations on having 85 immediately. Um, <laughs> and we, I was looking around for resources that could help me navigate that personal and professional identity crisis and transition that I was going through when I went from like, working mom, working person to working mom. And mm. I looked around online and I found snarky articles about how I should not put a photo of my baby on my desk or no one would take me seriously at work. I found articles about how I was wow. going to leak all over my shirt. I did not find helpful content, Tracy. And so <laughs> I set out to create what I wished had existed for myself when I went through uh, the transition back to work. And I decided... Um, based on an online course that I had taken called the Abundant Mama Project, that there should be an online course that connects people who are in the same life stage, who all care about being a wonderful mom and a wonderful professional, um, or a wonderful dad and a wonderful professional, so that we don't have to go through this process alone, and so that we are, our, our feelings are normalized as we're going through them. So important. And it's interesting because I think about the age, uh, the ages of your children and like 10 and yes. 12, that's not that long ago, right? Like you're, you're not talking about having 30 yeah. year old children. No, where, no, no, no. You know, like it, it, this is like, we're talking about something that is like super recent. And so I think about the lack of resources that you had and how many mm -hmm. resources I feel I have today as a, mm. I guess by the time this episode comes out, God willing, everything works out well. Um, that, you know, like a working mom or like a, a mom that eventually will go back to work. It's, mm -hmm. it's just, it's almost perplexing to realize how long men and women have gone through society kind of just like n not given, being given the resources that they need and the support that they need mm. to be, to excel in both categories, both as a parent and as an employee. And so I really, yeah. you know, that's really something that resonated in your book. And I, you know, I, I pulled up this one earmarked um, page that I have here around, um, you know, like calming anxious thoughts, because mm -hmm. right now as we're recording, I'm in my third trimester. And, you know, a lot of the thoughts that I experience are, you know, like what happened, you know, I'm having twins. So what happens if it's too much? What, how do I make sure that I'm, that I can have the support that I need because I want to go back to work. I expect to go back to work. Mm -hmm. I don't know who I am without work. And, you know, all mm -hmm. of those things become reality for moms and dads. And I really like that, you know, and we'll get into this, this idea of why parental leave is important for both parents. Um, so we'll, we'll get into that, but you know, the, the, something that, um, that, that resonated with me from this, this section was the recognizing the what if. So if the sentence starts with what if, then what follows is anxiety. Like, what if I can't do it? What if, and I, that's exactly what I just said when I started talking, right? What if it's too much? Or what if I fail at one thing or another? 
Um, and I guess my question for you is like, were the, you know, how much of these um, skills that you've developed and that you've written about in your book are coming from the things that you experienced? All of them, Tracy, every <laughs> single last one. <laughs> I mean, I, I had to basically learn to train my brain to catch itself when it kept saying, what if, what if, what if? I mean, I still go into that now, although I'm better at it. Um, and I have learned over time and had the perspective of a decade of parenthood that 99% of the what ifs that go through my head never materialize. And yes, there are like a thousand other problems that come up, but I can't anticipate those thousand other problems. So there's no use worrying about them. But it took, you know, yeah. a good decade of parenthood for, for me to sort of reach that, that point in perspective. I am also certain that I had undiagnosed postpartum anxiety. I did not mm. know that at the time. I feel like the screening for that has been traditionally very poor. Um, and I just want to sort of put a plug in for resources like Postpartum Support International and the support groups that exist. If you think maybe you're suffering from PPD, postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, or you're just struggling, reach out to people who can help you figure out if there is more support that you can be getting. Because gosh, I wish I had done that back in the day when I was really crying on the kitchen floor every night. Mm. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing that. It's not easy to share these vulnerable stories that we experience as individuals. And you know what the reality is, is that the more people talk about the things they mm -hmm. experience, the more, well, one, the less stigmatized it is. And mm -hmm. two, the, mm -hmm. the more likely it is that you find someone that can relate to you and vice versa, yeah. because it actually is pretty common. And I mean, like, especially for, for women who are the birthing parents or, you know, you go through these huge hormonal swings and there, I know now, even like in going to the doctor, they ask you like, how are you feeling? Do you feel safe at home? What thoughts are you having? And I'm, I know even from my mom joining me or my, even my husband joining me for my uh, appointments, that this is something that's fairly like relatively new um, in terms and of that how... not everyone is getting. Yeah. And yes, exactly. Not everyone's getting those screening questions or mm -hmm. necessarily being referred to the support that they need. Um, which kind of brings me to this next, the chapter three, actually, that I found to be the most impactful, at least based on where I am today in my pregnancy, which is titled All Those Logistics, because the reality <laughs> is that there are so many logistics when it comes to being a, what I imagine, uh, again, this is the kind of like forward thinking for me, but being a working parent. And for those listeners out there who are not parents yet, who are in these, you know, HR roles, whether decision makers or not, I think there is some empathy that can be afforded when we understand or consider the logistics that go into being a working parent, you know, and this is, again, I, I earmarked like so many parts of this chapter. And I think it might be one of your longer ones because there are so many logistics, like how do you prepare your meals? How do you prepare your environment for going back to work. Being remote, obviously, I imagine offers some additional flexibilities that that uh, an in-person or a hybrid environment doesn't necessarily offer. So in this chapter, I guess, or as we reflect on this chapter, and, and for any listener who wants to read this book, we'll be sure to link it in um, the show notes as well, since we're talking so much about it. You know, what would you say for those who are listening, who are in these decision-making roles, 
how can they support working parents so that when they are figuring out all of those logistics, that they feel supported, whether it's in providing more flexibility or more understanding to what that working parent is going through? Yeah, I think flexibility is absolutely key, as you said. Um, I'd say believing in the employee for the long run and recognizing that it is probably a one-year process of transitioning back after the baby. Um, so both the employee and the employer don't have this idea that, okay, I went back and after the first week, everything's normal and everything's all figured out. Um, I'd say number one is flexibility. Number two is to the extent that you as an employer can provide any support around the childcare situation, um, I think that's probably the number one stressor for many working parents. Um, and by that, I mean, if you're able to provide a backup care option, that can be life-saving for working parents who actually, you know, want to go to work, but then the nanny calls off or the daycare is shut down or the whatever. Um, so backup care opportunities are really helpful. Um, even just the ability to like get a discount to a care provider finding type of website. Um, if you have the opportunity to have an in-house childcare, I mean, that's like the gold standard. You know, it's the Patagonias of the world who retain vast majorities of their working parents because they have on-site childcare. There is a huge childcare shortage in this country. It existed before the pandemic and worsened um, during the pandemic and has continued on. And so if you can be sensitive to the fact that a working parent might desperately want to be working and be completely unable to find appropriate childcare and work through that period with them, you will have one um, dedicated and devoted employee. Yeah, it's so true. I did an episode earlier in 2023, I can't even remember which one, um, where I talked about how all of these companies want people to go back to the office. And this is like, it was so predictable, right? It's been predictable since COVID started, that there's this misconception that productivity equals butts and seats. And one of the things that I had mentioned is that having on-site childcare could be one fabulous way to actually yeah. really encourage and see uh, those numbers climb. Because the reality is, is that COVID did result, and I did an episode on this uh, during COVID, that COVID resulted in many women, especially leaving the workforce because of cost of childcare, because of the risks of, you know, health related risks because of COVID and having people in your home. Um, and mm -hmm. a lot of those women have not yet returned to the workforce because of the cost of childcare and just the, the intricacies mm -hmm. of the logistics. Um, and mm -hmm. so when I think about these companies, especially like huge, huge companies, like Goldman Sachs is a perfect example. They recently this summer talked about how they want five days in the office and they are going to start demanding that essentially this is not verbatim but it's like okay well how are you incentivizing that you can't expect people mm -hmm. who have adapted their lives to being more flexible and really especially we think about working parents like the flexibility of working remotely was massive for many working mm -hmm. parents um, you can't just expect people to give that up so you know, maybe this yeah. is something, I don't know if you have any predictions on this, but maybe this is something that companies start to offer similar to like what used to be offered. Because I think in in office childcare was much more common many years ago versus today, from my understanding. Yeah, I could be wrong. Yeah, I mean, 
overall, I think it's just that centers have closed because of the pandemic. And some of those mm -hmm. are in office centers and some of them are not. I'd say that we have not yet reached a world in which a majority of offices actually have on-site childcare. And so no. uh, let's keep pushing in that direction. I um, am hopeful and optimistic that we'll make progress over time. It won't happen tomorrow. It's an expensive endeavor in some ways, and it's a massively uh, cost-saving uh, endeavor in other ways because you can, and studies have shown that you will retain your parent employees. Right, right. And yes, absolutely. get them back into the office too. Gosh, I would go <laughs> right. downtown to drop my children off there. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I think that would be the only thing that could get me to go to an office mm -hmm. because otherwise mm -hmm. I don't see myself working in an office ever again. And, you know, yeah. as I yeah. prepare to return to work, and I am taking your e-course in January about this mindful return. And another plug, if anyone wants to join me, if anyone else is a, a working parent or is becoming a working parent, take the e-course with me. It's going to be fabulous. It'll be, it'll be a lot of, uh, not only a lot of fun, I imagine, but also very educational. Um, but, you know, the reality is, is that like being remote, you know, it makes my return to work a lot easier and at least in my mind so far, I know that everything is going to change once, you know, the babies are here, but <laughs> like everything else, but right. you know, the, the flexibility is really important. On that note, on that note, Tracy, I just want to put a plug in for getting some noise canceling headphones because the number one complaint that I've heard from people who are working from home is, and it's not a complaint, but when the babies cry in the next room and your heart is aching and you want to stop working because you want to go attend to them, even though the nanny or your partner or whoever is there, um, I think the ability to focus on your job is probably the biggest challenge when you also are home with children um, in those early mm. days. And so to the extent you can turn on the white noise and get the noise canceling headphones that will help you to focus. Very good advice for sure. <laughs> Very good advice. And you also... Um, talked about in you know in this uh, all those logistics chapter the importance of blocking weekends and blocking your calendar after your return to work ahead of returning to work to anticipate what that could look like um, which I think is really really important really smart putting pump holds on your work calendar planning vacations around child care all of these things are really I think pretty helpful when we think about what you know, what our workload might be before babies arrive or a baby arrives. And then, you know, moving into this environment that's potentially brand new, especially for first time moms, um, which is, you know, like me in this case. And a lot of the listeners have reached out about, you know, even some of their companies not offering a ton of leave benefits, which is something that I want to get into um, in this part of the episode, because it's really important. And you know, obviously offering leave benefits is the, the bare minimum in my eyes in terms of what a company and what people can do to support their working parents. Um, but what would you, you know, coming back to this idea of why it's important to encourage both moms and dads to take parental leave, mm. wh what do you have to say about that? What, what is so important about encouraging that? It's important for any business to focus on their culture, employee well-being, and strategic growth. But without the proper tools, it can be next to impossible to support the people behind your success. That's why you need Namely, the all-in-one HR solution that empowers you to engage and develop your people in an intuitive platform. 
Namely's award-winning technology covers your essential HR, payroll, and compliance needs in one place. Whether you have 20 or 1,000 employees, Namely's modern and integrated platform is designed to be used by everyone every day. With a mobile app and elegant UI, Namely empowers employees with self-service tools to request PTO, acknowledge peers, review pay stubs, and enroll in benefits. Namely helps you easily handle everything from onboarding, payroll, time tracking, open enrollment, employee engagement, and so much more. So you can get the time and data you need to drive the initiatives your company really cares about. Namely will be a game changer for your business and your team. Learn how you can simplify your HR processes today at Namely.com. That's Namely.com. If your company is remote or hybrid, then you know just how difficult it can be to grow your company's culture beyond a pre-scheduled Zoom happy hour or occasional lunch and learn. Well, this week's sponsor is here to solve that. They're called CultureBot. CultureBot has devised what will likely become the gold standard for growing and blossoming a company culture inside of Slack. The app is like a sidekick for any HR or people professional, automating a lot of the mundane tasks you probably are forgetting to do on a daily basis. Things like birthday and work anniversary celebrations, team shout outs and kudos, employee introductions, and remote games. It even has health and wellness tips and conversation starters. If that piques your interest, this will get you even more excited. Today, I'm able to share a special promotion for listeners of the podcast. You can get your first six months of CultureBot for 50% off. Plus, if your team is under 25 employees, CultureBot is free forever. So if you're looking for a way to create a culture of appreciation and drive increased engagement and togetherness across your team, I definitely recommend checking out CultureBot. Go to getculturebot.com slash humanhr. That's getculturebot.com slash humanhr to get the offer. Plus, I've added the link in the show notes so you can just click right there. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, so I am a big advocate for de-gendering and de-stigmatizing the taking of parental leave, whether you are a mom or a dad. Um, there are so many reasons why it's important for organizations, employers to step up and really encourage their dads to take the parental leave that is offered. Um, I truly believe we will never reach gender parity and gender equality in the workplace until parental leave becomes degendered. So for example, if you have two youngish people who are interviewing for a job and in the back of the mind of the interviewer, you, you have one woman and one man in the back of the mind of the interviewer, you have the, oh, but if I hire her, she might go out on maternity leave in a year or two, because that's probably the life stage she's in. I might go with mm. the man. What if you're looking at both candidates and you say, oh, they're both young and, oh, they might both go out on leave. Okay, that's not a deciding factor anymore, right? There is also data that shows that the more engaged a father is in the life of his newborn over the first couple of months, the better off the career trajectory is for the mother. So if you want leadership wow. and advancement opportunities for women, you need to be supporting the idea that men need to learn how to uh, feel comfortable taking care of the babies from day one. And the only way to do that is for them to be able to spend time. Employers need to educate managers about what language to use and what language to not use. You should not be telling your dad to go have a nice vacation as he takes some time off to be with baby. Keeping mm -hmm. a, a child or babies alive is not in any way, shape, or form, a vacation. When <laughs> right. you approach, when you approach a potential new dad in the workplace, don't ask him, "Oh, are you planning to take any time off?" Ask him, 
when are you taking your paternity leave, right? Just that little tiny language shift can do a lot to normalize the fact that you're expecting that he's going to take just as much advantage of this time as the the mom is. Um, those are a couple of my initial thoughts about why we need to encourage men to take the leave, but really it's a gender parity issue. If we want to reach pay equity, we need to encourage men to take their parental leave too. Absolutely. And we need to offer the leave as well. There are yes, in the uh, first place, are, <laughs> right? Yes. In the first place, uh -huh. there are so, so, so many people that I've spoken with. I've had a lot of friends deliver or have babies over the last few months mm -hmm. who have shared with me that their husbands are not given any parental leave at all and that there's only maternity leave. And what a disparity. I mean, it's really a shame mm -hmm. because it, mm -hmm. it assumes that men don't want to be involved in the raising and fostering of care in their child's lives. Mm -hmm. I guess the exception would be with adoption um, because adoption is irrelative of, um, you know, whether someone is a birthing parent or not. But when, when these uh, environments are not offering parental leave for a non-birthing parent, I mean, you're putting all of the pressure on the mother, on the birthing parent, and you're putting, mm -hmm. you're putting a, a, a new father or a father in general in, in an, or a non-birthing parent, if it's, if it's a, you know, mm -hmm. a, a relationship between two men or two women, you know, you're putting them in an impossible situation to be able to support. And then, yeah. you know, I can only imagine the type of impact, negative, negative impact that that has on someone, not, not only on the, the, the non-birthing parent, but like the family unit in general. Mm -hmm. It's, mm -hmm. it's a lot. Yeah. And if I can get on one more soapbox that's related, Please. it's if you are an employer and you're think, you think you're doing the right thing because your parental leave policy is not quote unquote gendered, but it does say primary caregiver and secondary caregiver, mm -hmm. you still have a gendered policy. Mm -hmm. Um, I, strongly recommend that you revisit a policy that says primary and secondary caregiver, first of all, because it's an outdated notion. I mean, quite frankly, you know, my husband was primary caregiver for an hour this morning and this afternoon, you know, I'll be primary for a couple of hours and then he'll be primary again. So it's, it's sort of a <laughs> strange construct. And second of all, how do you want to enforce that? Right. Are you going to be counting the number of diaper changes between the two partners or how do you identify mm -hmm. primary? The primary ends up defaulting to the birthing parent and you end up with a wildly um, disparate policy. Also, there have been a number of lawsuits that have been brought about the primary secondary caregiver distinction. And so you want to be aware of that from a legal uh, perspective as well. Very interesting. This is a, a perfect um, sign for everyone listening who has the potential to influence policy uh, decisions and progress to really look at your parental leave policies. I worked for a company that offered, it was probably one of the best parental leave policies that I had ever experienced. And they offered 16 weeks, regardless of where you lived in the United States, 16 weeks of fully paid parental leave. Didn't matter if you were mm -hmm. the birthing parent or not. There was no language around primary or secondary caregivers. And uh, we had developed that policy because of the number of women and men who were coming into this part of their lives where they started having children. And mm -hmm. there are many states, as we know, that don't offer any parental leave. Um, when mm -hmm. I was living, as a, a per, another personal anecdote here, 
when I was living in Ohio for my husband's job uh, through the end of 2022 and then um, the middle part, you know, the summer of 2023, basically, we moved back in July. Um, I enrolled in short-term disability as part of my benefits plans in the fall of 2022, knowing that, you know, there was a chance that we could be starting a family because Ohio did not have any paid parental leave. And that, you know, coming from New York, New Jersey, where there are all of these amazing benefits at the state level, that was a really tough pill to swallow. I was like, wow, I have to pay for, I have to pay more into ensuring that I have the support financially that I need, which is really huge. So, you know, not every company, of course, is going to be able to offer 100% of pay for 16 weeks subsidized by whatever the state offers. But every company can offer the time. Period. Yes. Yes. And the average American woman takes two weeks off after having birth oh because there's no paid leave in so many places and people have to go back in order for their families to survive. I mean, oh my God. I say this there's a sort of running joke in the community that in the the parental leave community that you're not allowed to separate a baby puppy from its mother until nine weeks. And yet as humans, we say, just go back to work. So, I mean, I think we have a lot of um, improvements that need to be made on a national level, but yes, as an employer, do what you can to help uh, solve this massive national problem. I I know it's, it's not easily fixed by individual employers, but yeah. Shocking. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's two shocking. Weeks. I mean, when you can you imagine wow. going back and after that's two a, weeks of yeah. No, no, not at uh-huh. all. I mean, considering that disability, if you have a C-section, disability affords you eight weeks. I use affords very lightly. Um, eight weeks of time away. I mean, two weeks. You're you're not even recovered, regardless of the type of delivery that you have. That's really right. really shocking. And you know, this is and where most, most people don't have. Yeah. Most people don't have access to that disability insurance. I mean, even the healthcare association that I work for when I had my baby did not have short-term disability. I had one week of paid parental leave and then I had to use vacation days and I basically had to save up for the next kid. So um, it's, it's a privilege almost to be able to have that short-term disability in this country. That is true. That is true. That's absolutely true. And it's just really shocking to hear some of these numbers. And, but this is where, you know, we see companies small and large have a huge influence on the trajectory of not only like government decisions, but policies. And, you mm-hmm. know, the especially major corporations that have huge market share. Like I used to work for Target, another company that had amazing parental leave opportunities, you know, there or offerings. Like those companies, the the better they are in kind of being progressive, so to speak, compared to the government, doing more than what the government expects because there is, you know, certainly a disparity in what the government, especially at the state level and the federal level, in what they expect from employers. Some employers don't even have a requirement. Some employers don't even qualify for FMLA. So there's there's so mm-hmm. much that a company that HR leaders, business leaders in general, because it doesn't all fall on HR, you know, what they can do to really drive this mission forward. And I really love that you made this distinction between parental leave offerings and pay equity because they absolutely mm-hmm. are connected, which brings me to um, a statistic that I'd love to get your perspective on. So I, before we started recording, I was like looking for information on how many women 
leave the workforce, come back to work Mm -hmm. after having um, children. And, you know, it's really hard to find a, a true statistic, at least from my quick search. There's like, you know, there's a lot of information that it's like, you know, 40 some odd percent leave the workforce and that 7% of dads leave the workforce to stay at home and that there, you know, there are all these statistics. But one thing that I did find is that apparently, according to the U.S. Census Bureau in 2022, one out of every five women quits her job either before or shortly after giving birth. Is that accurate from what you've seen? And and how can we how can we change that? How can we make I mean, actually, before even asking how we can change that, it actually is not as large of a number that I ex- as I expected. But I'd like to first know, is that accurate? And then we can kind of dive into, you know, how we impact that number. Yeah, so I agree that there the numbers are a little all over the place and it's hard to pinpoint exactly um, what that return rate is. I tend to rely on the Bureau of Labor Statistics data, and that data shows that approximately 64% of women go back um, after parental leave. So we're, at least in the data that I have looked at, it it seems we're losing about a third of the women um, who have a baby to the return, and they may return a few years later, but they're not going back um, immediately after leave. And so, I mean, I was going to say that if you are a company who feels like you are not in a position to be able to um, add to the number of paid parental leave weeks that you are offering, there are still so many things that you can and should be doing to support the new parent and improve your retention odds. So, I mean, I run this program called Mindful Return that is intended to help employers retain their working parents, but is also really intended to be a support for the working parent And we did a study of the first thousand people who went through our program and found that over a five-year period, 85% of those employees were still at the same employer and 93% were still in the workforce. And whether or not the person really engaged deeply in the course or not, it seems to matter that the employer reached out and said, hey, I want you to come back. I'm going to give you some tools to help you do that. Um, I'm going to help set you up with the lactation support that you're going to need. I'm going to give you flexibility so that you can get through these first couple of weeks and months. Um, I'm going to encourage you and believe in you for the long run, as I said earlier. So it's yes, it's about the paid leave, which is really important, but it is also just as important how you treat the person when they come back. There's a saying in the parental leave world that you have to win the manager lottery in order to return, to be part of that 64%. Mm. And I think one of the biggest things employers can do is really focus on the behavior of their managers. How are the managers treating the people who are going on leave? How are they helping them to navigate back afterward? And can you help create an environment where someone doesn't have to win a manager lottery in order to be retained at your organization? Absolutely. It's, It's such a wonderfully put point that if an employer can't offer, as you said, all of this additional paid time off um, for the leave or paid leave, that there are these other ways that they can support their employees. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely true. I mean, when we think about how employers are sometimes paying for professional development classes and, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. even additional education, continuing education, that's much, much, much more of an investment in terms of like cost compared to what, you know, a a small percentage for most companies 
would consider like those who are um, uh, taking advantage of parental leave. Like the majority of workforces are not taking parental leave at the same time. You know, even when I think about like the larger companies that I've worked for, it's not like 500 women and men were out on parental leave at the same time. It just doesn't work (laughs) that way. It's just not how babies come into the world. Like, sure, maybe you have a handful, maybe you even have 10 or 20, but it's not the majority of the workforce because even especially depending on the median or average age of your workforce. So when we think about companies saying, okay, you know what, we're going to buy you the book and we're going to send you to the e-course, you know, it's an investment of course, because it, it, it has, there's a financial component, but it's a, it's probably a much smaller part of a company's budget and has, and has the potential to have a huge, huge lasting impact, not only for the business, but the employee. Yeah. I've also, sorry to interrupt. I just, I had this one uh, memory of talking to a PD professional, a professional development professional at a large company who uses mindful return. And she said, one of the things that helped us make the decision was that people who were going out on parental leave often weren't using their professional development and learning budgets in the year that they were going on leave because they were focused on baby and whatnot. And so they repurposed that money toward educating them on how to have a better return, right? And so um, there's this sort of like gap of time when you're not spending on the employee um, in those professional development ways because they're out, but you can, you know, just pivot the money that has already been allocated. Brilliant. I love that. So we've given the listeners tons and tons of ideas here (laughs) for how they can influence some change and uh, adoption of additional resources in their organization. So I really, really appreciate that you have joined the podcast this week and that you have been a, a such a wonderful resource for my return to work as well, which will <laughs> be in course. the spring essentially of 2024. Um, and so I would love for you to take a moment to share with the listeners where they could buy your book, where they could sign up for your e-course and where they can learn more about offering these these options to their employees as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Tracy. This has been such a joy, and I really look forward to following along on your journey. (laughs) Um, Our website is www.mindfulreturn.com. There is a tab there that's specifically for employers, where employers can go to learn to find out more about our programs. Um, There is a drop-down that's, I believe, entitled For Parents, where you can go and find our courses for new moms and new dads. They're in English and Spanish and Portuguese, and we have them in different countries all over the world as well. Um, My husband and I co-host a podcast called Parents at Work that you can find um, on all the places one finds podcasts. My book, Back to Work After Baby, is on all the places one finds books. (laughs) Um, And I also just wanted to note that I am a serial founder of Working Parent employee resource groups at different organizations. And over the past couple of years, I've created a community of the leaders of working parent and caregiver ERGs. And that community is called the Working Parent Group Network. And if anybody is the leader of a working parent or caregiver ERG and wants to join this community, which is free, it's just a monthly Zoom call and we have a listserv, um, just go to mindfulreturn.com forward slash WPGN, which stands for Working Parent Group Network, and you can get tapped in. I I was running one of these working parent groups at the law firm where I last worked, and um, I felt like I was recreating the wheel every time. And so I wanted to find other people who were doing the same thing. And we're now, I think, a group of 280 leaders of working parent groups wow. who get together just to share ideas. So feel free to join us there as well. 
Wow, that's amazing. Tons and tons and tons of resources. For the listeners, this will all be in the show notes, so no need to worry. Make sure you click around. And if you are um, expecting or you are in your on your maternity or paternity leave, it is not too late to learn how you can return to work in a way that uh, allows you to plan and navigate a mindful return. So thank you so much again, Lori. Really appreciate all of your insight and all of the work that you're doing to create some equity in this space. Thank you for having me, Tracy, and good luck to you. Thank you. Hey, just before you go, don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you are the first to hear when an episode drops each week. And maybe leave a five-star review and a comment about how much you loved this episode. Plus, if you have someone in mind who would really enjoy this episode, make sure you share it with them. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll see you next week.